Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Health Points. I'm your co-host, Ben Wilkins. And with me today on my right is Pete Jenkins. Do you want to come and say hi, Pete? Hi, everyone. Brilliant. Today, we have Dr. Zach Fitzwalter on the show. And... Zach is a speaker, trainer, and games master, sought out for his expertise in gamification and motivation design. He earned one of the world's first PhDs in gamification design and has since lectured and developed curriculums on gamification for universities. He speaks and educates governments and companies around the world on effective gamification and engagement design. And in his downtime, he likes to live dangerously in the virtual worlds, racing cars, battling monsters, and shooting aliens. Zach, it's fantastic to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Ben and Pete. Thanks for having me here. Zach, I know your focus isn't necessarily all in the health and wellbeing space, but you are very well world renowned for your approach and acumen on gamification. And you've definitely seen plenty of health and wellbeing projects in your time. Uh, so that's why we invited you on the show today to kind of see what you've seen and understand your learnings along your journey. Yeah, great. I'm excited to share some of those. So it'd be great to start with about your background and how you ended up pioneering the role in gamification and serious games and what drew you in initially? Yeah, so my interest in uh, games, uh, gamification and serious games, I guess, uh, goes back over a decade ago. It goes back even further to when I was very young playing games for the, for the first time. Of course, I've had a love of games for all my life, but in terms of, of getting into the space of gamification, just over a decade ago when gamification wasn't even a word yet that was a quite you know that was popular or popularized i was doing my research into the space of mobile phones and uh, context awareness so i was really interested in this is when the iphone had just been released and there were all these amazing new things you could do with the iPhone in terms of recording things about people, such as their location, the number of steps that they took during the day. And so I was really interested in these offerings of these new technologies and the context sensing that, that they provided, which of course leads to, to health gamification quite nicely. But for me, I was then moving into a PhD and I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to do a PhD, I'd love to tie it back to, to video games, which has been a, a love of mine for many years. And I looked at how I could tie kind of this, this mobile sensing, or this context-aware sensing, with games and happened to choose the topic of gamification. But, of course, when I started, it was uh, I was calling it something even catchier than gamification. I was calling it pervasive, persuasive gaming, which unfortunately never took off. But, thankfully, uh, the term gamification came about, which is a much easier way to describe uh, kind of what I was doing. And so, yeah, I got into doing a PhD on the area, in particular focusing on the effective design of gamification for, for mobile apps, uh, looking at the different contexts they could provide. Incredible. What was your favorite context to work in out of the different choices? Yeah, good question. Back then, there was uh, not as much as there is today. Today, you can absolutely uh, record some incredible things, especially when it comes to health. Uh, if you look at the Apple Watches these days, you know you can record things like O2 saturation levels, and you can record intense exercise activity periods versus moderate activity periods. Back then, for me, the biggest thing was just steps. It was super exciting just to be able to, to measure someone's steps. And you know, I, we saw a, a huge number of step counter apps uh, appear on the App Store once Apple opened up access to the accelerometer data and to the step and the health data. Uh, but 
Yeah, you saw some really interesting applications come from that. And I, I think steps has been such a big one in terms of people's health. One of the, the early kind of uh, pioneering pieces of feedback when it comes to, to health is, is just people looking at how many steps they've done. And they've set that target of 10,000 steps. Obviously, we've moved on now in terms of understanding, you know, steps isn't everything. There's intense levels of activity and things like that. But even just being able to record steps back then was super exciting and definitely helped, I think, in terms of promoting physical activity. Yeah, proper interesting. And I think there's still the 10,000 steps things and understanding where that came from, and what that means. But actually, you're right, is now uh, become much more refined in terms of is more about intensity, is more about how regular you're out walking and exercising rather than just number of steps themselves. But steps are still a good baseline as a motivation point to get people to focus on the goal. How would you define gamification and what makes it unique in a way to create motivation and behaviors in people? Oh, that's a tough one. You never ask an academic to define uh, gamification just because we could spend hours debating on the, on the topic. Um, but in terms of, you know, I always go back to one of the first definitions of gamification by uh, Sebastian Detterding and, and his colleagues, which, uh, you know, is really about looking at applying game elements to non-game contexts. Effectively, that's what it's about. For me, though, if we talk about, there's usually a definition difference between serious games and gamification. Some people call it the same thing. Some people differ. Personally, for me, um, it comes down to the intent of the designer, whether they're creating a game versus a serious game. And then really the difference between gamification and serious game for me is, is kind of similar to augmented reality and virtual reality. I see serious games generally as something like a simulation, which we, we create or we, we design in order to create a learning environment. Whereas gamification, in, in my mind, again, and other people have different definitions, is more about augmenting activities with game elements, uh, like augmented reality, uh, in order to make them more motivating. So I like thinking them in a similar way to virtual reality and augmented reality. Of course, there's other definitions out there, but it does help to think about how technology plays a role then and how the future of gamification, where opportunities align in terms of virtual reality and augmented reality. I really like that way of defining the difference through the use of uh, augmented and virtual reality. It is something people struggle with, the difference between gamification and serious games. And there's another yeah. bit as well, which is that serious games was a concept that existed first. So a lot of people who came up from the serious games thing don't really see where gamification comes in. That's right. You know, it's been around forever, right? Like this is the thing as well. And gamification is nothing new. I mean, the term is relatively new and, and has become popularized, but really the big thing, the big driving factor for, for the gamification space for me is just how technology has changed and allowed us to add game elements to everyday life. You know, now that we can record the number of steps we take during the day, or now that we can record you know, how much a high level of intensity activity we undertake, all of a sudden that opens up new opportunities for games. And really the big thing is now that because technology and games in particular have moved away from being plugged into the TV, you kind of huddled around at playing games on the TV, video games to be becoming pervasive, uh, you know, they're, they're embedded everywhere now because of uh, smartphone technology, because of Apple watches, because of these things. There's just all these new and exciting opportunities for games to be embedded in our everyday lives, which is exciting. They're absolutely everywhere. It'd be great mm. to know uh, what your PhD focused on and kind of what has your research and interest been since your PhD? Yeah, so my PhD primarily focused on, I mean, it was an excuse to really look into to games and to mobile contexts and to understand, it was an excuse to, to make gamified apps and then test them. So 
for me, I was trying to understand what led to the effective design of gamification for mobile apps. And for that, I developed two apps during uh, the PhD. One was an app for university orientation to encourage university students to go out to explore the campus, to get around, to meet people in order to encourage them uh, to enjoy their university life more. And then the second one was looking at learner drivers. How can we motivate learner drivers to undertake more diverse practice? And so I was looking at how we could effectively design some gamification solutions to promote those particular behaviors. But since then, for me, I've been focused primarily from a user experience point of view, looking at software and technology and, and how the combination of technology, games, and behaviors through those combination, we can create motivating experiences. But that's, you know, just looking at gamification because there were so few people studying gamification, researching gamification, or looking at gamification, especially at that time, which was early 2010s, 11s, 12s, people just got in contact with me when they heard about this concept of gamification because very few people in Australia where I'm from as well, uh, you know, really understood gamification. And so all of a sudden I found myself talking about gamification and then being more involved with gamification projects that led me to consulting, providing gamification feedback and, and kind of researching and developing curriculum in that space. That's very cool. A lot of information there, but I'm going to go back to the bit that caught my interest, yeah. which was uh -huh. in your PhD learner drivers. You mentioned about getting them to do more diverse practice. Yes. Is that right? I, I, that sounds really interesting. Tell us more, please. Yeah. Well, I don't know what it's like uh, in the UK, but in Australia, learner drivers generally, in, we have different states and territories and they have their own different rules. But in the, the state that I live in, Queensland, learner drivers have to undertake 100 hours of practice before they're allowed to get their driver's license. And this has to be supervised practice. So they have to have a, a supervisor in the car with them at all times. And so what we're interested in is rather than just getting learners to practice going to school and back every day, the whole point of the, the 100 hours is, is to get them to undertake diverse practice. So practicing on the, the freeways, practicing at peak hour, nighttime, wet weather, those kind of things. And so the gamification really looked at how we could promote diverse practice as opposed to just the same practice over and over again. Yeah, that sounds really good and like a really good learning idea because you get better at stuff by doing more diverse stuff. So how did you go about yeah. it? This was, there were a number of iterations of design. Uh, this was applying a number of different gamification techniques. Really, it was focused primarily on a process for designing effective gamification and looking at motivational theories behind it. So the design itself was drew from or was founded in kind of uh, self-determination theory and the theory of flow, which are two really interesting theories of motivation. And so I was looking at how we can use these theories to help uh, inspire a, a gamification design. And so, yeah, came up with the design, applied it, tested it, and, and looked at the results. Someone who wrote off their car within six months of passing their driving. <laughs> oh, no, passing ben, my driving really? test. <laughs> uh, and I think I only clocked up maybe 20, 25 hours of supervised driving instructor practice before taking my test passed for its time mm. but then within six months wrote off my first car i do wonder if maybe i had nearing 100 hours of practice beforehand <laughs> in different driving environments maybe i wouldn't have written off my first car <laughs> yes <laughs> this is definitely a health benefit game yeah without a doubt there is a public health benefit oh, yeah, for having totally. fewer car crashes <laughs> yeah and i mean this is the thing you've seen some really other interesting one I, the volkswagen initiative is something that everyone goes back to the speed camera lottery there's other initiatives we have a, a fantastic initiative here in, in queensland again where rather than finding people uh for speeding they've set up they still find people for speeding but they've also set up instant feedback uh, devices they call them sams uh, speed awareness monitors as you're driving towards them they tell you whether you're speeding or whether you're good 
Uh, and if you're speeding, you get like this flashing red uh, speeding uh, kind of feedback. But if you are going at the right speed, then they give you some fun feedback, a smiley face, usually themed for the season, Halloween, Christmas, that kind of thing. So I love just this, these simple feedback mechanisms as well can really help change people's behavior for good. Oddly enough, I was telling people about that example in Queensland earlier this week. What's your take on why it's so effective mm. compared to speed cameras normally? <laughs> The biggest one for me is the instant feedback. And this is something games are great at. Uh, when we think of speeding fines, you know, you'll speed, you may not even notice that you were speeding at the time. And then three weeks later, you get a speeding ticket and you're like, you can't really put it into context. It's like, what was I doing at the time? Who was speeding? Was I speeding? Those kind of things. But as compared to having instant feedback right there and then, feedback saying, hey, you're speeding. And because it's public as well, you know, other people can see that you're speeding. There's that kind of bit of social pressure there. So yeah, the instant feedback, the social pressure, I think that provides, uh, you know, the kind of the right setup for, for behavior change, which is quite nice. And the, the results have been great from that particular campaign. Um, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it's made a big difference in terms of slowing people down. The other bit I like about it is the use of faces mm. and the feedback. And I feel like there's something there about tapping into people and emotions. That means they're going to yes, pay more that... attention to the feedback as well. Do yeah, you, do you sure. do anything like that in any of the gamification work? using oh, emotive stuff instead of numbers. Yeah, I guess there's that empathy element ties back into into that social aspect a little bit and empathizing. I can't, you know, all games to a certain extent have some kind of generally some interaction socially. Yeah, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but for, for sure, social element is a huge factor as well when it comes to behavior change. Someone who covered 120 odd traffic lights in Oxford and put cardboard cutouts in the red light of a heart for Valentine's Day, not because I'm a romantic, but because <laughs> I just thought it'd be a good fun project. Got some friends. We called it, of course, Operation Romeo, uh, but essentially oh. <laughs> went around city at midnight with a hard hat, a high vis and a stepladder and these pre-made cardboard cutouts and just thought it'd be a really nice little fun project. It was so successful. Someone wrote an article in the Guardian newspaper in the UK about it. And there's a few <laughs> videos no on way. YouTube of people like taking videos of these hearts and anyway but point being people take notice of emotions in traffic light mm. uh, equipment um, so i can <laughs> see why people do respond so much better to seeing uh, smiley faces and other uh, emotive indicators on speed awareness monitors too i think the other moral of that story is it's amazing what you can get away with a high vis uh, jacket and light it was a life lesson there hard hat and high vis and a clipboard and like <laughs> police officers walking by were not even questioning what we were doing in the traffic <laughs> zach it'd be great to know what you've seen what you've been involved in around the gamification and well-being or gamification and health in uh, our industry? So I've been involved in a number of different projects. I mean, I, I just love health and well-being because it ties itself so so closely or so nicely to, to gamification because it's something we're all striving for. It's something that can be quite difficult. And so anything that can kind of motivate us to be better versions of ourselves is, is always excellent and exciting. Uh, I've worked on a couple of apps in terms of providing feedback uh, on gamification designs. Um, one was a well-being app, uh, a mindfulness app. And then the other one, which I, I really liked, was pretty proud of contributing to, was a gamification or a health and fitness app called Magic Mountain. So magicmountain.app. Uh, it's um, one that where you get a team of people together and you're trying to reach the peak of a mountain, which is determined by a calorie goal. Uh, and so you're all kind of in it together rather than competing against others like you find in things like Strava, where it's one-on-one. -on -one. This is like, you're in it together. You can motivate people in the team. You can pull more weight that week. You can you know, work a bit harder if other people are lacking behind. So yeah, I like that kind of social aspect to it. 
Um, so that was one that was that's really enjoyed working on. I've seen Magic Mountain. I really like Magic ah. Mountain. I think it's a great, yeah. one of the very simple UX UI designs that has been built into it. It's just the confetti that comes up on the mm. screen when you succeed yes. and get to the top. It's such a simple element to the app design and the feedback loop, but it works so well because it's beautiful. The line, the confetti is beautiful. You've got the mountain in the background, the confetti coming down. It's almost like a, a snowy landscape, but confetti instead. Just a simple part made me want to keep using it and be involved in it. It's amazing how such simple parts of design and UX can completely change the, yeah. the feedback mechanism and the repeat behaviors. Yeah, that's a reward type, you know, that aesthetic feedback, the animation, that, that can enhance an app or a software system significantly, like you said, because it's, it's very rewarding. Um, you know, this is something that we've learned from video games as well. Uh, there's, there's classic games out there that use this quite effectively, this kind of animated feedback and rewards and sounds and things like that. But yeah, it could create a very rewarding experience and one that you look forward to as well. So like you said, something super easy to add to your apps, uh, but something that can have a, a big difference as well. In the apps you work on, have you tracked the sort of effectiveness of different feedbacks? What have you seen that's worked well? What have you seen that hasn't worked well? Yeah, good good point. Mostly I'm coming in to provide feedback on gamification designs to, you know, as, as an audit kind of service. So usually I'll come in at certain stages in the designs uh, and then it's kind of up to the client to measure the effectiveness of those. But yeah, look, there's a range of different things. And this touches on something that's really important for gamification design is that measurement ass is super important. Gamification isn't just a, a one-time thing. You set it up and then let it run forever. Uh, you know, you want to be constantly measuring and iterating and changing. And I think if you have, just look at some of the, the best examples of gamification out there. Duolingo, I love Duolingo. Uh, it's for, for learning another language. Um, but they are constantly iterating and changing and improving their designs. And they're not, not afraid to change things as well. If they don't work, they can remove it. They can add new things. And I really love their approach to gamification design. Yeah, look, there's, there's lots of things that kind of work well. It just depends on how you implement them and then how you measure them. Zach, I've taken part in some of your workshops and some of your teaching programs and focus a lot on things like acronyms to understand the key points of gamification, uh, looking at things like goals, rules, progress, feedback. And one thing I'm still trying to figure out is that to really test the mechanics in the gamification, should we make ugly apps first? so that people aren't lured <laughs> into attractive visuals and that's what's keeping them in that might be a short-term behavior change rather than making really unattractive versions that have the mechanics really well baked in. Is there a lean methodology mm. approach to creating gamification features in health and well-being apps? Yeah, look, this, this is a great question. I don't think you should set out to make ugly ones. Uh, it doesn't have to be ugly, but you know, essentially the whole, and look, this is nice because it ties back into a presentation I gave at Gamification Europe 2018. Uh, Pete, you might remember this one seeing as you, you ran the conference, but it was all about prototyping. And really prototypes can take many different forms when it comes to games and gamification. But the whole idea of a prototype is you, you have some kind of assumption uh, that you're trying to test. You're trying to test, for example, whether my core game loop is fun, uh, whether people understand the rules, whether people know what to do next, whether it's clear, you know, there's, there's all these questions. Generally, you'll create a prototype that tests these assumptions and you'll probably create one prototype or, or, you know, to kind of test it out and then iterate on that. And really when it comes to creating ugly prototypes, I get where you're coming from. It's more the fact that you want to create a prototype quickly in order to answer that assumption that you have as quickly as possible, because, you know, building takes money, takes time, takes resources. And so the less you can spend in order to then create something that's effective, 
the better. So generally you can create really cheap prototypes. You can fake a lot of things in order to test a game loop to see if it's fun. But, but then if you are testing the visuals and, and whether people respond to the look of characters and things like that, then maybe you will make nicer looking prototypes. It just depends on what you're testing. Oh, Ben, that was a good question. Do you know I'm thinking um, <laughs> the game designer, Amy Jo Kim, actually recommends the ugly version in her process because it's about working out if the gameplay is engaging and not the aesthetics. And I'm thinking about what I see with my clients is where they put a design in front of uh, a focus group, the end users, the ugly one, the bare bones one, works really well. They get great feedback, really accurate feedback about what's working and what's not. But what I see in the client themselves is they don't want to share anything until it looks pretty. And it's quite a weird disparity. Like They don't even see that it's fun until it looks good. That is a tough one. And look, you don't want to get locked into a design like as soon as you present something that looks pretty nice to a client, generally there's the, you know, that they'll sometimes accept this as this is the final thing. So it's, it's really difficult. You've got to tread the line, as you said, in terms of if you're testing something, you know, you, you might want to make it look ugly. I know for us, at least the, the main thing is that if you do have something that looks ugly, but people want more of it or they can't stop talking about it afterwards, then, you know, you're kind of onto something, which is good. But yeah, it's a hard one. You've got to be really careful when presenting, you know, pretty looking designs that are still, you know, wireframes, etc. So we talked about Magic Mountain. You mentioned a few of the gamification in health and wellbeing projects. Can we get back and go into those a bit more? That'd be great. That... Oh yeah, let's do that. Let's jump straight into Pokemon Go. I know technically it's not a serious game or a gamification, but it's a great example of, of a new type of game, an augmented reality game that has contributed to health and wellbeing significantly in terms of getting people out there. There was a study that uh, was run back in 2016, I think which was when it was first come out, that estimated added in the short span of the study, which I think was one or three months, it added a total of 144 billion steps to US physical activity, which is just incredible. So, you know, all of a sudden this game, Pokemon Go, taking a franchise that someone loves and then moving it to a mobile phone and then having people have to get out there, find Pokemon, having to walk two, five, 10 kilometers just to hatch eggs, it's had such a huge impact. And so it's, it's really exciting seeing what augmented reality games are doing for health and well-being. The moment when you can create games that people just want to play. Um, and I remember mm. seeing videos on BBC News, I can't remember which city it was, but crowds of people that were rushing and running to go and yes. hatch an egg or find a certain rare Pokemon to show up. The moment you create a game that people just want to do because they are so engaged in the narrative and the gameplay, but as a result, taking on healthier behaviors, that's the secret. Rather than focus on creating the health behaviors, focus on creating a great game uh, and a great experience, and the behaviors will happen naturally as a result of it. Of course, saying that, it is very difficult to create such an amazing game like that. And the, the time and the resources that went into it would have been enormous. But the impact it's had has been incredible. Uh, and I'm sure the revenue they make is fantastic as well. Yes. What I think is interesting about that one is the Pokemon Go, is that it came out, the platform it's put on was from a gamified solution, which was the game Ingress mm. by Google. Yes. Which was actually the gamification was a game to encourage people to walk around so that they could make the maps for walking more accurate. And the infrastructure they built for that game, which had millions of players, I played that one before Pokemon Go, um, was able to be leveraged in Pokemon Go. And as far as I'm aware, there's actually a few less features in the Pokemon Go version than the Ingress version. Really? And people are still playing Ingress today, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I like about Ingress, by the way, and I don't know where you stand on this, thing, is it has teams, but it has only two. So when you sign up, you join one of either that sounds really cool. And there might be two and a half, three million players in your team, but it still seems to be really motivating for people. 
What sort of effect from uh, having teams in games and gamification have you seen? Uh, yeah, it's that aspect of, of working together, I guess. You create a community. Um, as soon as you have to choose a, a team in Pokemon Go or in, in Ingress, you'll all of a sudden have this identity because I think they have colors, they have different mascots. You'll often try and get into the same team as your friends, potentially. And all of a sudden, there's that community aspect to it, which is a, a very strong motivator for, for many people when it comes to games. Uh, there's lots of community-based games out there, uh, and community is, is a big part of many games. And so, yeah, it's another important aspect just because it's such a strong player motivation. And I think this ties quite nicely into talking about Nick Yee's work into player motivations. Um, I really like his work in terms of understanding why people play games because it's it's grounded in research. It started off looking at multiplayer, massively multiplayer online games, but then has looked at just games in general and just pulled out why people play games. And that kind of, you know, if you look at those kind of motivations, it can then be the catalyst for creating new types of gamification experiences. Um, obviously, an, another one is Zombies Run, which I really like in the health and well-being space. And you've, you've talked to, I think, the creator of recently. And so that one was really interesting because it, rather than being, you know, a feedback or a competitive gamified design, it was very much narrative based which is one of those player motivations i think there's something around uh, when the virtual medals and points wear up as fads for game mechanics people to keep involved it's the community that people take on and the identity they have as a result of that is the glue that will keep them sticking to that solution for a long time to come yet so i agree with you on magic mountain as well the idea is a collaborative uh, approach as a team calorie counting climbing the mountain the result of that some research that came out from versus arthritis a couple of years ago around physical activity was that so often physical activity interventions provide the practical support to tell you what are the kind of exercises that are good for your knee and your back to stay active. But what they're so often missing is the emotional support. Now, within those group scenarios like on Magic Mountain, how do you take that and apply that to other areas of health gamification? Because one of the problems about having a long-term health condition for a lot of people can feel a very lonely existence. How do you break down potentially stigmatism and taboos about having this health condition that people can connect through it and then take part in healthy games together? There's a lot to unpack in that question. <laughs> um yeah, it's interesting. I guess now with things like the internet, uh, it's revealed that there are a lot of people out there um, with similar maybe health problems as you you know as as you might have. Um, but in terms of games, having that community aspect where people can share either the, the things they're working through or share uh, their kind of achievements as well can be a, a really motivating aspect to it. I was talking to uh, the creator of the Streaks app recently. Um, which is an app for simply just recording streaks um, or habits that you you achieve. And a lot of it, uh, those streaks can be tied into Apple Health and Fitness. He's introducing a new feature soon, which will let people see your progress in order to kind of help track or, or be there as someone who can, you know, kind of help motivate you, I guess, um, which is a really lovely feature because a lot of the time with the these gamification solutions, many of them will have social aspects in terms of competition but won't have that community aspect to it to, to a certain extent you know a lot of them are about achieving things like you said pete and getting badges competing on leaderboards but then just supporting community aspects um, can be very powerful as well so you know strava on strava it's great you can give kudos to people you can comment you can share live kind of your progress and things like that and see other people have run the same course as you um, so it's, it's nice that they've supported those social aspects as well as competitive ones.
go deeper into your uh, take on the role of gamification and health in the future, it would be great to know your background, Zach, into the games that you enjoy, whether they're analog or digital or sporting, whatever they are. What are the things that excite and motivate you? From I love all games. I, I get very excited about both video games and board games. Uh, these days, I don't have too much time to play games, unfortunately, unless I can kind of pass it off as research. Uh, but for me, I play a lot of board games these days um simply because they're a way to get together with friends and socialize so it's nice bringing people together around the same table and then i've also been playing one game recently i'll, I'll talk about what games i played recently because there's too many games in the past that i like there's a game called valheim uh which is in alpha uh, or beta open beta which is, is a paid app but they've already made lots of money off it it's a fantastic game it's kind of like minecraft norse themed but you get together with your friends and you uh you build castles and houses and things like that i never thought i'd like games like this but this one has been fantastic again because of the social aspect getting together with friends and building something yeah look there's lots of games i like out there but really the, the social aspect is, is what draws me to a lot of games um i'm very much a social player uh so I, I really like any games that have a great social mechanism um and also a collaborative aspect to it as well so Dungeons and Dragons, uh, you see games such as Endless Water, uh, Forgotten Waters, any, any of those kind of collaborative games that gets you to work together as opposed to the classic Monopoly games um, where you're competing against others. I do like those a lot. There has been a running theme with all our guests that when we ask this question, and it seems like board games are definitely winning the war on di of, compared to digital. Uh, I think the perception <laughs> that everyone working in gamification and digital health are all kind of avid uh, mobile phone gamers and using consoles. But actually, pretty much everyone we speak to really likes the quality of time to spend with other people through board games. Mm. And you are exactly the same, Zach, in your feedback too. Board games are fantastic. So I think it's just the tangible aspect, getting around together with friends as well. I think it probably ties back to early communities, is what I can say, just that that drive for, for being around people. What sort of games, like the ones you enjoy, do you think are most applicable to being used for health purposes? Yeah? What do you think could have the most effect? Yeah, good question. I guess that anything, I love the collaborative aspect and, and working together towards a goal is really nice. And we haven't seen it that much in kind of the gamification space that I can think of. Um, of course, there's probably many examples out there I haven't seen. See, I um, think there's, there's a slight, in, yeah. with medical games, health games, there's always a, an aversion to uh, sharing data about your condition. So I, I think it's harder to build a collaborative game, True. but worth doing if you can. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. You could always hide what you're achieving to other people, but still contribute to something. There's different possibilities there, depending on the level of privacy. But yeah, of course, health is a really interesting one because there is that privacy related issues. I agree in the collaborative one, Pete, and it was actually Magic Mounting that inspired some of the game mechanics that we're building into a project that I'm working on now being funded by uh, Innovate UK. I was looking at people with uh, musculoskeletal disorders, things like arthritis, and how can they collectively contribute to a goal, such as the exercise equivalent of running the London Marathon, which could be seated exercise if that's what the level of exercise they need to take part in. But actually, when we ran focus groups, again, very ugly wireframe versions of the concepts, this idea that they could, as a team, cycle from Land's End to John O'Groats or run the London Marathon, um, but actually be in their living room, but they do it together as a team, was far higher motivator than it was the idea they compete against other people. 
people with a health condition like arthritis to see who could do the most exercise, the equivalent of London Marathon first. So I think the potential future role of health gamification is those collaborative game mechanics and how do you create communities around that? Because focus groups and the feedback was in terms of what would motivate them. People let themselves down in their own healthy behaviors all the time. Uh, but the idea you're doing it as a team, as a collective, you have an accountability and responsibility means if you don't take part, you're not just letting yourself down, you're letting the team down. And that was something that seemed to be far more motivating than the idea that they might be told by their physio or their GP that, oh, you haven't exercised as much as you should have done in the last week or month. Do you think there's anything there in um, collaborating as a team against the health disorder that they've got as well? Going to have something like it's us against arthritis, for instance. I mean, interestingly, um, Arthritis Research UK rebranded as Verthritis a couple of years ago. Again, I think to create that idea, that narrative that they're actually trying to take on the condition. And a lot of the advertising I've seen recently, Cancer Research UK, uh, is about how do we collectively beat cancer? This idea that we are a collective against the disease. I suppose I think of a game that I've really enjoyed like that is the game Pandemic. Uh, whether it's virtual or analog, is actually you take on as a team against the board game rather than you play against each other as players. Mm. But yes, Pandemic is, is a great example of a collaborative board game where you're working together against the computer. Or against the the well, not the computer, but against the game in this. Is there scope here for setting sort of big goals for people, like taking on beyond Magic Mountain? I'm trying to remember which game it was. One of the, I think it was Halo. I think the the players of that one year decided they needed to kill one billion aliens, like just as a an outrageous stretch goal, and then they went and did it in a few months. This is this is the thing I like about games as well. Is it you might not set these explicit goals, but if you just set up an interesting environment where people can do interesting things, then you'll get players. There's a particular group of players that will go off and come up with their own wild goals like that. You know, where it's killing a million enemies or something. Did you say a billion? You know, a billion. And then there's speed runs. People do amazing things and. We often call this cheating to a certain extent where people will try, uh, we think they're cheating, they'll try and break the game, but often it's just people exploring the boundaries of the game, seeing what they can do with it, and you get some really interesting results. Uh, for the last uh, part of the episode, it'd be great to know where have your key learnings been around what works and what doesn't work in health gamification, or what else have you seen, Zach, that has great examples in health gamification that we think the listeners would really value from understanding? Yeah, look, there's two things. I think number one is that as technology is evolving, we're seeing, again, new types of exercises and things that can be recorded. I wear an Apple Watch now these days, and the amounts of different types of exercise it can record are incredible. You know, it has everything from boxing to dancing to swimming to rock climbing. And, and it has algorithms in there to try and work out exactly kind of how much exercise or activity or calorie expenditure you're getting from those particular activities. And I think this is only going to, technology is only going to keep changing and we'll see some really interesting ways to, in which to measure different activities um, in the future. So that's something to watch out for. And the other thing is just, there are a range of different elements uh, which you, you can embed in your designs, which have uh, different impacts as well, or have the potential to motivate uh, behavior. I'm gonna do a shameless plug. Uh, I've started writing a newsletter called Elements of Fun, where I pull out a, an element and basically provide context around where it works, why it works, and then how to design it effectively. And the element I'm focusing on this month, this, the element of streaks, 
And streaks are fantastic. You know, it's such a feedback mechanism, such a simple challenge where the, the whole concept of a streak is you do something, a regular activity on a regular interval, then you see a streak counter increase. So, you know, if you, Duolingo has a great example every day. If you, you undertake your language uh, lesson, then your streak increases. But for me, one that's been really motivating is just, again, going back to my Apple Watch. I, I just love it. Uh, obviously, I'm a real Apple fanboy, but the fact that it has a streak counter for three different types of activity-related exercises. One is that you hit a certain calorie goal every day. The other is you hit a certain level of intensity of exercise every day. And the other is you stand up every hour for 12 hours uh, during the day. But again, the fact that there's a streak there has motivated me to try and reach or, or complete that goal every day. The nice thing about it as well, and I think this is something important for health, is that, again, this comes back to this those 10,000 steps thing, is that one size doesn't fit all. We're all different as humans. And so the ability for uh, the designs to adapt and to change to suit whatever your current level of health is, um, is really important as well. And so that's something um, worth considering when it comes to, to gamification design. Zach, you're really into, I can tell, the measurements. How many of this, how, many, how much of that, how, what did my heart rate get to, all the rest of it. Now, to me, a lot of those are very quantity-based measurements. How do you mm. see technology evolving for health in terms of the quality of the activity we're doing? Because you, know, you mentioned, for instance, standing up. I, and this is one of the biggest downfalls with technology at the moment. And it will change eventually, you know, as, as soon as we get better at understanding or measuring things. But one of the hardest challenges with gamification is when you have a particular behavior or activity that you want to promote, you then, if you're using technology um, in order to encourage it, you need some way to measure it. And, you know, essentially the way you measure it might not actively re reflect, as you said, Pete, the quality of the activity. Uh, and so again, this, this is hard. I mean, we technology is improving. Like I said, with the Apple Watch, they can measure when your heart rate is, is elevated or high. And so at least you can kind of get an understanding of, you know, whether you're doing high intensity exercise. I'm no expert in, in that kind of space, but yeah, I guess as technology changes, we'll get more quality. But at the moment, yeah, very much quantity based. And this is the thing with a lot of gamification, you know, we see, for example, badges being awarded for people when they log into an application or a website. And that's really easy to do because we can measure when someone logs into a website, whether logging into the website is the behavior we want to actually uh, encourage is another question. And so this comes back to understanding really clearly the goal of the person, like what do people value? What do they want to achieve uh, with their life? And then how can we effectively measure that using the technologies that we have? That conversation with every client, I think, because their KPIs are how many people are logging in. And I'm like, but actually, what does the player or the user really need? Do they need to log in to achieve the behavior change you want? And I think it's a really interesting balance because they always want to reward that. And I'm like, but it's not really necessarily essential for the player. That's right. It's quite a difficult one because it's very easy to create a gamification experience around that. But yeah, whether it ties back to the actual activity that people get value of is, is another matter. I have one final question for you, Zach, in terms of where do you see the future education health going? Do you think it's more measurement? Do you think it's more narrative? Do you think it's more VR? Or are we going to go through a digital detox phase as a society and back to board game related health and gamification? Oh, good question. I mean, there is this whole other issue around screen time and things like that. But look, ultimately, I think the future is going to be buff nerds. Uh, basically, video gamers going to be really buff because of augmented reality and virtual reality experiences. I don't know if either of you have played Beat Saber. It's a it's a game where, you know, virtual reality, you're moving your arms quite a lot, you know, to try and hit th these things that they come towards you in time with the music, but that, you get sweaty after that. 
So I think what's going to be interesting is there's definitely, you know, a movement away from plugged in video games. You know, video games were always limited by technology in the sense that when they're plugged into the wall, you couldn't move them around, etc. But now as technology has evolved, we've seen really new and interesting types of video games. Uh, and so I think gamification really will tie into all of that, whether persuasive game, uh, gamification, serious game, they may all kind of mean the same thing in the future. There, there may not be much difference between it, but essentially embedding game elements into everyday life. Uh, is, we'll see it happen more and more with augmented reality and virtual reality. It doesn't mean you have to subscribe to it or use these these things, but they'll be there uh, in some really interesting forms, I think. And yeah, look, it's it's just exciting that, you know, you can work up such a sweat from just playing video games these days, you know, and it's fantastic. Dance Dance Revolution, you've got Wii Fit back in the day, we've got new Ring Fit, Wii uh, Switch Adventure. There's all these games now which are very much active games and people love them. It's uh, it's exciting. Step then is for a societal shift in what the stereotypical gamer and what do they look like and actually they're muscle bound individuals just on uh, doing push-ups but gamifying every single one they do i'll give it two years they'll all be buff thank you so much uh, for joining today it's been brilliant to talk through uh, your journey in gamification your understanding your learnings and experience uh, and looking forward to speaking to you again soon thanks pete thanks ben it was a joy to be here today